You're listening to I Fucking Love This Record, a music podcast hosted by me, the Derek Care of You. I hope you enjoy the show. Everybody knows that's how it goes when you're discussing I'm Your Man, the eighth studio album by Leonard Cohen. It was released on Columbia Records on February 2nd, 1988, and the album continued Cohen's move to a more synth-oriented sound. It became the most popular album which Cohen had released in the U.S. and reached number one in several European countries. On the other mic, he's our man today, a singer-songwriter who has combined the influences of blues artists such as Mississippi John Hurt, Lead Belly, and Blind Willie Johnson, with the storytelling prowess of Ira Gershwin, Hank Williams, and Tom Waits. Benjamin Adair Murphy, I hope I said that correctly. Welcome to the show. Yeah. How are you doing, Benjamin? Thanks. Benjamin Adair Murphy, thank you. I appreciate you uh, You had reached out. You have a new record coming out pretty soon, which we're going to talk about here at The Flip. And another one of the influences that you had listed is our subject for today, who is uh, Leonard Cohen. So tell me, how did this album enter your life? I think at first um, it was the cover my uh, dad is a jazz musician, and when we were uh, young, we used to go to uh, um, record stores a lot. And I just I remember pro- probably being 11, 12, uh, maybe even younger, because we would be in there for a long time just flipping through new releases. And I distinctly remember seeing the the cover probably three, four years before I actually heard Leonard Cohen's music. There's something about that image that just uh, – that sticks with you about that that the cover he just he's in his sunglasses a suit and he just he looks so cool he's in something that just looks like a like a big new york loft but he's eating the banana so it's (laughs) it's got that ridiculous um that mix of just looking so cool and so i wasn't sure like you just kind of you knew immediately that there was something there that was uh, I didn't know if there was, it was kind of a Velvet Underground connection, kind of an Andy Warhol connection, but there was something about that. Yeah, I think, he, yeah, he really liked that cover. I, I, I think it was, he said something like, that "You just when you think that you're, you, you're looking the coolest, like the coolest guy in the room, like everyone else sees you with a banana or something like that. But uh, <laughs> so I, I think that was probably the, the first uh, image I probably saw of Leonard Cohen. So that was in terms of the, the, the image. In terms of the, uh, the music, uh, I was pretty late getting to it. I, I fell in love with the early folky Leonard Cohen, the first acoustic albums with all the, the classical guitar. And uh, so that was the Leonard Cohen that I, I really was attracted to. So when I was first introduced to some of the uh, I, I'm Your Man albums, I was uh, so I was like, oh, what? It, what is this? <laughs> so with this, like, <laughs> this kind of uh, pop, like apocalyptic, like uh, Pet Shop Boys kind of '80s production mixed with some of these, like, some this kind of cheesy ballad. So it took me a while. Uh, now I, I appreciate the the Leonard, the later Leonard Cohen, probably more than the uh, than the early folk stuff. But it definitely it might have been. Uh, after after college that I really started appreciating the album. So this was the first thing that I heard by Leonard Cohen. Uh, so my introduction to him was through the song Everybody Knows, which was uh, featured prominently on the movie Pump Up the Volume, featuring Christian Slater. So I've talked a little bit about this. This is the third Leonard Cohen album I've done for this show because uh, Leonard Cohen is my all-time favorite. Uh, but this is where this was my start. 
So I knew him basically from here. And then I did the opposite of you and found the folk stuff right. uh, later. So a buddy of mine had bought uh, that first greatest hits record thinking it was more or less the same thing. And he didn't know what to do with this nasally Bob Dylan sounding right. stuff. And so he just gave it to me and I was just head over heels for it. Uh, cause I, at that point I'd only heard this later era stuff. So, um, I had a friend of mine that ended up buying the album and then, I, and he lived in a different city. And I remember going to visit him. This was back when I was still in college. Uh, and they liked it, but there's one song on this album that kind of kept me away from Leonard Cohen a little bit longer. Cause this would have been probably about 91 or 92. Uh, and now I've come to, you know, I, I love this record, obviously. It's why we're, we're talking about it today. So we're going to go ahead and jump into the track by track analysis. So Great. side one, song one, first we take Manhattan. They sentence me to 20 years of boredom. Trying to change the system from within I'm coming now I'm coming to reward them This was my introduction to Leonard Cohen, but I could only imagine somebody who was a fan of Leonard Cohen like an, if you take an American who is a fan, maybe not a huge fan, but like a, you know, somebody who liked Leonard Cohen this may have been the first thing that they had heard from him since recent songs in 1979, because various positions did not get released in America, at least not initially. So if, unless it was somebody who was really hardcore and had to track down an import and all this stuff. So you can you imagine going from recent songs, which had that real mariachi vibe to it, and he still had the lower vo or, you know, the higher voice, and uh, it was still an acoustic thing. And then you hear this. I mean, I can only imagine how bizarre that would be for somebody in 1988 hearing Cohen for the first time in a decade. And suddenly it's this Euro disco stuff going on. He's singing from the perspective of a wannabe megalomaniacal dictator. And it's fantastic. It is so good. And I like various positions. I think that's a, it's a really solid record. And that kind of straddles the line between what he was doing earlier and, and his turn towards this more electronic music. Whereas this feels just fully fleshed out. He sounds so much more confident in this record. I feel like he was comfortable in his voice, that his voice had changed significantly. And here's where he just, I, I feel like he fully embraced what would become that second half of his career. I think this really kicks off the second half of his career. Uh, even though the sound does go back, you know, an earlier album, but that was like in 1983, I think that various positions came out. I think so. And so, like I said, this was my introduction to him, and it, I think it's, I think it still sounds fantastic, even though it does have that 80s vibe to it. But just that mix of this Euro disco and his voice of God just works for me. What do you think about this song? There's a lot going on in this song. It's a, a mysterious, like, it's a mysterious song. It's, um, I think when I first, actually, when I, I had a, uh, I had a, a girlfriend when I was 17, um, and she, uh, yeah, she was French. It's, it's, it was, I think this album was so much more popular in Europe, and um she gave me a copy of uh, the little prince and within it she she wrote um 
uh, she's like, I, um, I love your body, your spirit and your clothes. And, and I didn't know this line. And like, uh, <laughs> I knew Leonard Cohen and uh, of course, completely wrong. Cause you know, it's skinny body and just terrible spirit of a like petty 17 year old and like, you know, clothes sucked. But, uh, um, but I, so I, I, that was probably also the first time seeing Leonard Cohen lyrics just written out. Um, so, and then I remember actually going back to the production of it, just being kind of disappointed when I finally heard the song and heard those lyrics, lyrics <laughs> sung because it's, it's got that really just kind of boppy, uh, like the, like the backup singers are singing that part. And it's, uh, but it's a strange, strange, uh, of all the strange songs on this, it's, it's just the kind of terrorist aspect of it. Always just, it was, it was always hard to kind of place what he was, what he was going for with this one, with this, uh, it, I just kind of picture this Leonard Cohen is kind of, uh, uh, this romanticism of, of terrorism. And he just kind of sounds like a, like Israeli assassin, <laughs> like traveling from, uh, traveling to Berlin to just murder Nazis in the night. There's, there's something, uh, just the romanticism of that, that violent call to action that was, that was so romantic in a strange way. Of course, come to love this song as well, but it's, it's, uh, even, even for Leonard Cohen on some of the stranger moments on the, of this album, it's, it's lyrically, it's, it's hard to, uh, get a, a feeling for this one. Yeah. It took me a long time to figure out what it exactly was that he was going for. And I've read about, I've read a lot about it. Like I said, I've, I've lived with this album for a, re- a really long time. And yeah. And I'd, I'd like the fact that, cause he is really, he's known more obviously for his songwriting than for his singing and that he could at this point, cause he was, I don't think he was ever, he was not often political uh, on occasion. And I really feel like he, he hit some, some political stuff in this record. Uh, but really, from that late '80s perspective, and and I think it's it you know it comes across as being as being pretty interesting, uh, even if I don't fully yeah get exactly what it is that he's going for. I think it's still that him inhabiting a personality is kind of fun. So let's move on to track two, "Ain't No Cure for Love." What do you think about this one? This one is another like um, when I was starting to. Uh, well, first of all, with the album, I I think there's about um, I have about three. Well, I mean, we'll talk about them. About three album or three songs that I think are uh, uh, not only just some of the best Leonard Cohen songs. I, I think they're just some of the best songs ever written. Ain't No Cure for Love kind of falls into it's it's a, a nice song, and and I love it. But it's, um, I mean, you're, he's going up against some of like the best songs ever written. So it's, uh, in terms of its placement on the album, first of all, there's that sax solo at the top, which like when you're going back to some of the issues of the production, I like it now. But when I first heard it, I was like, oh, just what is this? I, I love the lyrics in this, in this one because he, uh, he was going for this, this Hemingway stripped down style of writing that just, 
um, trying to make these simple, like it sounds like he's talking. There's the, uh, the I see you in the subway um, first. I see you, uh, I see you in the bus. I see you lined in. It's, there's every single, it's very, very beautiful, simple lines that just really feel like he's, a, he's talking about on his day-to-day life that just like, there's something so beautiful about those, that simple language that I really appreciate. I think of all the, um, the two songs on the album, this and I can't forget that are pretty songs. They don't cut quite as deep, but they're, we're, we're talking about I mean, songs that any songwriter would just would give anything to be able to write two of these songs. But, uh, <laughs> this one, it's, it's, it's a nice song. <laughs> Doesn't for me it doesn't cut as as deep as uh, some of the other tracks that we'll talk about. I would agree with that. My thing with this song is there are occasions in this part of his career where he veers pretty close to adult contemporary, <laughs> and it's just a little too smooth. It's a little too nice. It's a little too pretty. It doesn't go fully on the way, but like you said, the saxophone and. Uh, you know, he really utilized the you know female backup singers quite a bit in the second part of his career because he wasn't really able to carry a melody very well with his voice anymore. And sometimes it really works, and sometimes it veers a little too close to adult contemporary. So, like I said, it doesn't go all the way. This is a song that I don't really put on. If I was to make a, a mix of Leonard Cohen songs for a friend, this song is not going to be on it. Um, I I like the song well enough because it doesn't doesn't fully go all the way across that border, but it gets close. And, you know, and that's when you could hear on the worst radio station and then like, you know, Wind Beneath My Wings is going to come on next or Michael Bolton's going to come on next or something like that. So it's a pretty song and there are some some really great stripped down lyrics to it. And, you know, I always appreciate his his lyrics. Right. And uh, that's that's what I'm going to say about that one. We're going to go ahead and move on to track three, Everybody Knows. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. Like I said, this is the song that introduced me to Leonard Cohen, and I still have a a very deep appreciation for this song because of that. And I love the the musical background where it almost sounds like strings are being played backwards. Just the nihilism and pessimism, which he doesn't really fully get into a lot, even though he is known as being very dark and being very depressing. But this song is just great depressing line after great depressing line. You know, it's like everybody knows the boat is leaking. Everybody knows the captain lied. I love this song so much. This is one of my all-time favorites by him. I could see why this song would be has been chosen to to represent certain things. Like, you know, in pop culture, this is a song that is fairly well known. And strangely, like, this is one of the few songs I, I think I can just sing without hearing it first, because usually I'm, I'm not great with remembering lyrics. And so <laughs> I used to sing the song to my kids when they were babies because I could and they didn't understand how, <laughs> how dark the lyrics actually were. But uh, so this is something that both of my kids have heard. You know, one day they're going to hear this when they're adults and they're going to be like, why does this sound familiar to me? But yeah, what do you think about this one? This and um, Tower of Song are my two highlights. Um, 
I, it's every lyric in this song is just, um, I just that the first, everyone knows dice is loaded, fingers crossed. Everyone knows the war's over, the good guys lost, the rich save rich. It's, it's incredible. The, I don't know how much we want to talk about politics. Um, 2016 election, there was only one way that I could describe it, watching people walk around where I was, and that was this broken feeling like their father or their dog just died. That was all that I had in my head that whole time. Yeah, I think this is one of definitely one of his strongest songs. There's a few of these that it's it's hard to find fault in. <laughs> with, <laughs> with like uh, this and I'm your man, like lyrically, where it, you just you he worked really hard on his on his lyrics. He worked on them for a long time, and there's just there's not there's just not a bad line in this one. It's it's so dark. The plague's coming. In in this one, I think the product the musical production. It, it just it really works. It's it's uh, compared to some of his other. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about uh, Jazz Police and even more than uh, First We Take Manhattan. I think like there's somehow it doesn't sound dated. It sounds it's just great. I love this one. Yeah, and just how they do the the string section or whatever that is, you know whatever is making yeah. that hook along the way. Whereas you know as much I love First We Take Manhattan, but that sounds very eighties club music. Yeah. And this one, yeah. Yeah. And you could see almost, you could see a a disco version of that, you know, something that you would hear in a, in an alternative club or something with good speakers, you could hear first we take Manhattan. Whereas with this one where it has still those electronic elements, it does not fall into that. It doesn't, like you said, it doesn't feel dated. These apocalyptic lyrics and his deep voice. And his deep deadpan voice where he doesn't, it's almost like he doesn't feel affected by, all these terrible things that are happening that he's witnessing and recording and reporting back to us. And yeah, this is a, is a masterful song. It's just, it has the, uh, everyone knows the deal's rotten old black Joe still picking cotton for your ribbons and bows. Yeah. What do you say about that? (laughs) There's too much in this song that is still relevant or it feels even more relevant today. Like you said, you know, to, not get too much into the politics, but you know, almost anything that's going on, it feels like you could just make a meme out of every line from this song and it would somehow apply to some bullshit that's going on right now. Yeah. As I said, this in tower of song, I just, I think of the, the standouts and the album. Let's move on to track four. I'm your man, the title track. If you want a lover, I'll do anything you ask me to And if you want another kind of love I'll wear a mask for you What do you think about this one? This one is another one that's it's so perfect. It's hard to find something that's... Um, I, I don't love it as much as, as everybody knows and Tower of Song, but it's just so well-crafted. I used to know a singer you know, who used to, um, she used to sing this song. The ones that I think work well as his songs that like something like Tower of Song or uh, something like that are some of his maybe less important ones work really well as covers. Something like uh, I'm Your Man or um, Ain't No Cure for Love. Some of the, the more almost, yeah, like as you said, adult contemporary this one's not adult contemporary at all. It's it's, it's mysterious, but it's just it's a <laughs> it's just so solid with all all the lyrics and 
lyrically, he always, for me, always goes like a step beyond other people can do. And I don't, I don't know how else to explain that by then like something like putting in, uh, oh, what is the, if you, if you want to work the street streets alone, I'll disappear for you. There's, there's something about that putting in the, if, working the streets alone. It's, it's so, uh, it's so perfect, but it's so mysterious and it's not clear. But, um, I think many songwriters would take if they had the idea of, if you want something, I will do something, but none of them could come up with, with lines like that. Like I'll, 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 I'll let you work the streets alone in these, uh, these just mysterious lines he can come up with so so easily if you want a different kind of love i'll wear a mask for you that kind of line that he just somehow just tosses out so so casually in this <laughs> song and then there's the chorus the uh, just howling at the at the uh, at the moon it's it's a it's a beautiful song this is such a great tune and to go back with the uh, the the backing music sounds like it could be in a French porno or something. And it just, it, it edges up to cheese without ever getting there. Cause it, it keeps that mystery. And it, a lot of that comes down to, again, his voice. And you talk about it in his lyrics. And I love the kind of, there's the turn where he's like, well, you know, no man ever got a woman back by begging on his knees. But if that was the case, that's what exactly what I would do. And I, that's one of my favorite, you know, and I'm paraphrasing because I just lost the actual line in my head, but I love that part of it where he's just like, I, you know, if you want this, I will do that. If you want this, I will do that. And you know, then he, he kind of, it almost like he realizes that this is fruitless, but no, he keeps going. And that's what I love about that. Cause that's maybe where another songwriter would pull back and he keeps going and it's just, it's so fantastic. And I love the music on this and cause it's got that, it's a little bit dark. It's a little bit mysterious while also being just edging up to, to goofy without ever fully getting there, you know, and it's, it's, oh God, it's so good. It's amazing how he can straddle that line of, uh, he's able to get away with things that most people trying to sing those lyrics could, he, he's able to get away with a lot just because of the gravitas and the, the quality of the lyrics. There's that, the humor that he has, that he's, he's not taking himself as seriously as someone who, there's just something about how he's yeah, it's just how he's able to get away with saying things that the rest of us would just sound really cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he do, yeah, he can do it and still come off as not sounding creepy and still kind of sounding kind of sexy. That that was his gift, and I think that was primarily in that later part of his career because he has just that voice that uh, could could get away with that, and you know, just the fact that he had that he was Leonard Cohen and he was able to do some of those things, but. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a, a fantastic song. I love that song. Yeah, that brings us to the end of side one of "I'm Your Man" uh, by Leonard Cohen on "I Fucking Love This Record" with my special guest Benjamin Adair Murphy. Uh, now, your latest record, your most recent record, will say uh, "Let's Make a King" will be released on July 9th. And uh, tell me a little bit about what went into making this record. Well, it's a strange process. I was down in. Um in Mexico City and I was able to I worked with a few different musicians um, I'm from New York originally but we were uh, my wife and I and our daughter were in Mexico City and um, there's a studio where I've been able to do some work and I was working with a friend Roy Gorell who ended up producing the album and I went in started doing a few uh, just 
demo tracks, playing along with a click track, doing some guitar parts and putting some vocals down. I started writing these very angry blues songs and I thought that would be the end of it. But my friend Roy, who's now, um, he was in New York. Now he was in, in uh, he's in Tel Aviv in Israel. And Roy really liked the project and he wanted to start working on it. And so he started just taking the guitar parts and the vocals that I had done and started, started building on these songs. Our friend uh, Gilbert put, started putting um, drums down in New York City. Casey Shee in, uh, uh, um, in L.A. put down some uh, harmonicas. And, and then my, my uh, old friend uh, uh, Peter Hess was able to start putting down the horns in, in New York. So we, were, we had these projects that we were really we were sending the Pro Tools files around. And uh, I, I'm not sure how... <laughs> I was able to come together and all of us sound like we're in, all playing in one room. But uh, because of the production, it, it really came out well, and I'm really proud of it. So it's it's a collection of angry blues songs focusing on a lot of things that we were that bothered us about the world today. Uh, gun control, a lot of the issues in the United States, things that are happening right now. So we're very proud of it. Um, it'll be out July 9th on my band camp and all other streaming services. So yeah, hope you can uh, check it out. Yeah, definitely. So one of my favorite songs here was, uh, I think the second track, Stupid Followed Evil. says that's great I ain't never had me one of them then stupid said that evil how does this friendship work and evil says it's easy you just stick your head down in the dirt so stupid dug a hole and stuck his head down in the sand and evil had free reign to carry out his wicked plans I don't really get too deep into to lyrical content but just the the music behind this one, the guitar, I really love this one. This sounds like it could be in a Tarantino movie because it has that kind of Norish guitar. And then you got the, you know, the bluesy vocals on top of it. And uh, this was one of my favorites. I just, I, I played this one a couple of times. I, I like this one. So can you tell me maybe just a little bit more about this one? Musically or lyrically? Uh, let's go with lyrically because I don't follow the lyrics much. So I'll pay more attention next time. Uh, lyrically, um, I was with a friend who was in the, uh, in the military and uh, the U.S. had done something that uh, we'd bombed somewhere. And yeah, I'm trying not to get too in, into too many specifics here, but uh, a lot of people in the United States were just, were just taking this as face value. And um, I don't remember which one of us said it, my friend who, who was in the Marines or me. Um, it, and I was just like, one of us said it just feels like stupid following evil all the time. And at first, I, I, it seemed too simple to me. And it, it, but then I just I, uh, I started writing it and it, it, and it came out. Um, in terms of that, uh, that guitar sound, that whole line I think came about with I sent that to my um, just a strip down only the guitar or the acoustic guitars to my friend Peter. And he started putting in these that those percussive uh, 
saxophone hits and it just seemed like a, a perfect place to have the, that kind of loud uh, reverbed out uh, heavy guitar parts. A lot of the music really came from just working just a team effort. My own version, my guitars aren't even on there anymore on that track or I think there's I think my guitars are left on one on one song so it was really a, a group a group effort this this project and yeah we're really proud of how it came out yeah I bet so there's a lot of fun and uh, also my my next favorite one is the title track let's make a king let's make a king Let's make the world look flat Let's cut the tarmac before they ever learn to sing Let's burn the homes to warm our hands Plant our flags on foreign lands Let's leave the fingers and take the rings Now, like, this has a very Tom Waits feel to me. And you said in your bio that Tom Waits was a... An influence. Do you feel like that there's a, a specific Tom Waits influence on this song? Am I just uh, am I just hearing that, or was that was there some kind of a, a an approach that you took to writing that song? Or in terms of uh, lyrically, I've always leaned much towards much more towards uh, uh, Leonard Cohen than than Waits. Even though I I think I mean Waits has been also the two of them have been have been my favorite favorite musicians for a long time, along with Dylan since I was a kid. Um, but the, uh, so in terms of instrumentation, I, I'm always trying to go for that, uh, that the weight sound of the, uh, the, the blues and the, the kind of country blues mixed with strange percussion and the, the low horns. And that's, that's a sound that I've been, I've been trying to get to for a long time. Uh, the lyrics, I might have written most of those lyrics before I uh, I even came up with the the melody. I'm, I'm, I don't remember how that one came about, <laughs> but uh, lyrically that one is like many of the the songs in this album are. Uh, it's focused on um, a lot of uh, yeah. Once again, I'm I'm trying not to get too political on your. Uh, <laughs> there's a, a certain group of people. I'll, I'll just say, yeah, there's a group of, of Trump supporters or many Trump supporters that I feel are uh, leaning towards uh, things that scare me a lot in terms of where they're willing to to go politically. And I I just see a lot of these uh, uh, it just veering towards a, a space that I'm very scared about. So the a lot of those those lines in that in terms of. Uh, leaving fingers, taking the rings, just veering towards uh, barbaric ways that in a way that really scares me. So uh, the lyrics pr- they, of this in this whole album pr- all pretty, came pretty quickly. I couldn't stop writing them, really. Um, this, these these angry songs just kept coming out, and, and this was certainly one of them. Yeah, well, if you want to go with uh, angry slash paranoid slash you know upset i think there's there's worse places to look than uh, than tom waits that's for sure so <laughs> really really enjoyable record i like that a lot those just were really the two that i wanted to talk about here on our flip but just as a reminder one more time july 9th is when that'll be out and on Bandcamp and various other places people will be able to find it and now we're going to hear from one of our friends I'm Brian Colburn. And I'm Jay Sweet. And we're the co-hosts of Tune Styles, a podcast aimed at the music nerd in us all. 
Each listener interactive episode hones in on a different musical topic or artist. Featuring guest interviews, listener polls, and roundtable discussions about the music that shaped the soundtrack to our lives. You can find us at TuneStylesPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever your favorite podcasts are found. Subscribe to TuneStyles and be a part of our weekly musical conversation. Stay tuned. And let's get back to the show. We're going to flip the record over. Side two, song five. This is going to be Take This Waltz, which is uh, based loosely, I believe, on a Federico Garcia Lorca poem. Now in Vienna, there's ten pretty women. There's a shoulder where death comes to cry. There's a lobby with 900 windows. There's a tree where the dogs go to die. This just has that old world feel to it. Uh, you know, a, a lot of people, when they think about this record, they're thinking about the, you know, electronic elements, the synth elements. And there's really not a lot of that going on in this song. There's a lot of, you know, old school instrumentation going on here with some violin and a couple of other instruments that I'm not even familiar with. I think there's an ode, I think it's called, on this yeah. one, something. One of my dreams after moving to Poland is I wanted to visit Vienna and I wanted to listen to the song as I walked around. And I finally got to do that a couple of years back. And then again, uh, about a year ago, I was there for a show. I was doing a stand-up comedy show and uh, I walked around and I listened to this song walking through Vienna. So I found nine of the 10 pretty women, but I couldn't find the tree where the doves go to die. So a little disappointed next time. Yeah. So this one just uh, without even knowing that it was based on a, on a poem, but this just has, again, we, we go back to his lyrics and just, and so telling about all these things and just the, uh, you know, there's a, a bar where the boys have stopped talking. They've been sentenced to death by the blues and just sort of that sentenced to death by the blues just that's kind of it goes to that sacred and profane thing that he would do at times and it feels like he's talking about one thing and then he switches you up and he gives you something different right there at the end and uh it's a beautifully rendered song the the, the music on this is just gorgeous and his voice and his lyrics in this are just so so perfect and while everything else has that real late 80s feel this one just feels like a, a throwback and not to his earlier career, but to like pre rock music in general. You know, I like this one a whole lot. What about you? Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, in terms of the production, it doesn't have a lot of that, uh, the newer stuff. It's, it's just beautiful. I, I had the same experience. I was, I had to go to Vienna for, for work and, walking around through there it's it's it just in your head and talk about just the power of uh, you think about how many people how many leonard cohen fans have gone and they've been their whole lives dreaming of of that moment and uh it's it's an it's an amazing thing to have um a song be able to do is it from people around the uh, around the whole world want to go to one place <laughs> just because of because they've been dreaming about these beautiful images. I don't know. I I haven't looked at. Have you ever looked at the uh, original poem that this was? I I don't know how much uh, if if he translated this with who he was working with. I don't know if this is Sharon Robinson 
I don't know what she done on um, Everybody Knows, but I, I think he might have had somebody else that he's working with on this one. But it's just beautiful imagery. The uh, the attic where the the children are playing and the Hungarian lanterns and they're just it's so dense lyrically. But it, and it just has a yeah the beautiful violin and um, I think the the highlight uh, when the backing vocals come up when the the female backing uh, join him and it just it just sounds like two people dancing it's it's uh, it's it's just a beautiful moment i, I think it's, it's jennifer warns maybe i think uh, so yeah right around the same <laughs> strangely right around the same time as i had the time of my life yeah it's it's a, a, a beautiful I, yeah I, I love this one as well so let's go ahead and move on to track six jazz police can you tell me why the bells are ringing Nothing's happened in a million years I've been sitting here since Wednesday morning Wednesday morning, can't believe my ears Chaz police are looking through my folders Chaz police are talking to my niece <laughs> What do you think here? <laughs> I, I, uh, I do not like this one, but I don't think many people do it's just, it's like um i think it was pitchfork i was reading a, a review about the album and the writer was saying that it actually had a name for it it was like uh the uh, jazz police syndrome where you just have an album of amazing songs but you, <laughs> you have one one song that's just a just a colossal uh uh mistake and i appreciate it because of maybe other songs from this album wouldn't have come out if he hadn't been uh, voyaging into whatever space he was doing with this uh the 80s instrumentation and all that and uh, this this whole album is so deep he's going he's going he's going to very deep places and uh maybe yeah you just if you go into such deep places you can't you you can't help but sometimes dig up something uh something bad and he, he definitely he took up something something bad with jazz police this kind of demon of a song that he uh it's it's also coming right after <laughs> after uh just this the songs that is like surrounding it that uh it's it's so jarring and it's uh that chorus is so it's uh it's it's a lot to take and that like goes back to when i first heard the album as this I, I just couldn't figure out what he was doing and this one in particular might have kept me from enjoying the rest of the album maybe for a couple more years because uh because it's just, it's such a wonderful colossal uh screw up in this collection of this uh there's seven songs on here that are just masterpieces and then then jazz police <laughs> i don't know how you feel about it hope i didn't insult you and I hate this fucking song. I hate the song. It doesn't follow the best song, but it follows the most beautiful song on this album. And it's terrible. It's so awful. And it, just like you, this kept me away from Leonard Cohen probably for another two years because I I knew everybody knows and my buddy had bought the record and all they could do was kind of laugh at how terrible this song was. So I was living in Tampa and my buddies were living in Gainesville and I'd gone to, uh, you know, just go party with them for the weekend in Gainesville. And so it wasn't like we were sitting down and really 
absorbing the record. It was something that was on and because we had been talking about Leonard Cohen and so we're drinking some beers and this song comes on and everybody is just doing a piss take on this right on this song. They're making fun of it. And so I thought, okay. And then, and then, you know, the song after it is not the strongest song either. And, and I think that's sort of like, oh, okay, maybe, you know, maybe it's one of those I like everybody knows and that's it. You know, there's nothing else to, of, of any substance on this record. And again, I was, you know, 20, 21 years old at this point. Uh, so it pushed me back a couple of years and then just to really go back to this record and absorb how really great every other song on this record is and how colossally terrible this song is. It's just so, like you said, jarring. And, uh, I'm pretty sure I read that same article in, in Pitchfork and, and, you know, I think we all have our little musical rules here, you know, things that we think about, you know, to ourselves, like, oh, that's this example or something. And, uh, and having, Jazz Police as the primary example of the terrible song on an otherwise flawless record, I think works perfectly for me (laughs) because it's just, it's not good. And I thought maybe revisiting because when I was still using an, an, an iPod, I didn't even put this song on there, you know, so I'm your man was a seven track album for me for a long time. And then uh, I bought this one on vinyl a couple of years back. And that was the first time I had heard Jazz Police in years because I had purposely just never had it where I could listen to it. And then when I had to sit down and listen to the record, uh, it was like, oh, man. It's it's shocking that it actually got made it onto an album. Everything about it is mysterious. I do like that it's there because it's it's more of a mystery than it's – same thing I did have – yeah, my – uh, when we were living together in Brooklyn, my buddy uh, Schaefer sometimes on a Sunday morning, if we'd been drinking a lot on Saturday, would just just to screw with everyone in the house, just blast jazz police just to piss <laughs> off the rest of the house. Uh, That's but mean. It's, it's, it, it was mean, but uh, yeah, it's pretty batshit crazy, this one. <laughs> It is, and it had been a long time since I, I had given it a listen. So, uh, and it'd probably be a long time before I listen to it again. Well, I'll have to put it. I'll have to put a clip in for when I when I edit this one out. But uh, yeah, so we're gonna go ahead and move on to track seven. I can't forget. I stumbled out of bed. I got ready for the struggle. I smoked a cigarette and I tightened up my gut. I said, This can't be me. This one reminds me a little bit of Ain't No Cure for Love. It sort of skirts that edge of, uh, of Cohen going a little bit too adult contemporary. Uh, the, this one is uh, blessed with not having saxophone farting all over it. Uh, <laughs> like the previous track. And I think it does sound better uh, coming after Jazz Police. <laughs> uh, because it's hard not to sound better coming after Jazz Police. I like this one. I don't have a ton to say about this one because, again, this is one that uh, I like. And it's another. It's a pretty song, but it's one that's never gotten its hooks into me like another, you know, let's say, four or five tracks on this record. What do you yeah. think about it? Same, same. I agree with you. I think the first time I heard it was the Pixies cover of it. That's actually, yeah, it's a really good cover. It's, uh, but it, yeah, I, I don't have too much to say about this one either. It's, it's nice and it's, um, kind of pretty and catchy and works well as a cover for someone else to do, but, uh, it just, it kind of floats by and I don't, I don't listen to this one that often. 
there's yeah there's not too much even musically or or lyrically that really grabs me with but it does sound beautiful next to jazz playing right? <laughs> it certainly does uh yes it's not one that i it's not one that i skip but it's also not one that i skip to exactly. let's go ahead and finish this bad boy up track eight tower of song well my friends are gone and my hair is gray I ache in the places where I used to play And I'm crazy for love But I'm not coming on I'm just paying my rent every day In the Tower of Song This is one you've uh, mentioned a few times, so tell me what what your thoughts are here. I I love this one. This is um, another that I... uh, it took took a while to come to this one just because it's this Casio. It's, it's him kind of singing and just I didn't know why he was I didn't understand at first why he would be doing this when he he can play that beautiful classical guitar lines and I just I didn't get it at first and then there's but there's now it's 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 one of my my favorite. There's this uh, the imagery and like. Um, you know, when I'm after college and really trying to be a, a songwriter, there's that romanticism about how all of us, you're, you're kind of just shielded and you're, you're living on to forever with you and Hank Williams. And I, I really love the, he was, I, obviously Leonard Cohen was this, this, this great, great figure, but he always had this, uh, he was, he was humble. And for all of us thinking about, um, if you have this tower of song, you just picture Leonard Cohen is way, way up in that tower. And he, but he himself places himself way, way further, just a hundred, like Hank Williams is a hundred floors above him. And he's just, he, he puts himself lower down there. And um, I just, I love the imagery of this song. It's one of my favorites on this. I think also just maybe because I, Leonard Cohen meant so much to me for I had listened to him for for 30 years uh, before he 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 passed on and then that idea of him still just singing sweetly <laughs> from a tower for 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 all of us you know for for the rest of my life the rest of your life we'll all still be able to uh, just he- hear him singing from that that tower and uh, it's a beautiful beautiful image yeah too often if somebody is going to write a song about writing songs, it all, it feels just a little self-congratulatory or, you know, like a snake eating its tail because he has such self deprecating wit that that makes this song work so much better. Like, you know, we, we all know Leonard Cohen belongs in the penthouse of that building, but he has put, like you said, Hank Williams, a hundred floors above him. And just there's some fantastic lines in here and the, uh, you know, I I ache in the places where I used to play is such a great line. But I love the, uh, you know, I had no choice. I was given the gift of a golden voice. And that's funny. And, you know, we had talked about a little bit earlier how, you know, there's some some funny lines in there. And and I had mentioned on a previous podcast talking about Leonard Cohen, uh, how he doesn't always, he didn't always get as much credit 
for how funny he was. I don't think a lot of people understood when he was being sardonic and they didn't quite get that he was joking and being a little tongue in cheek. And I think a lot of times that his humor just passed people by. There's some funny stuff in this song. This is such a a, a fantastic way to talk about his own craft. And like it's too often, it just gets, it feels a little masturbatory, but in this case, it, it doesn't because he is able to joke a little bit about himself. And, you know, obviously his voice was a, a very limited instrument and he found the best way to, to utilize it. And he was able to write lyrics as good, if not better than anybody that's come before him or, or will come since, you know, he just, he had a gift for the written word and making it work in the constraint of a song, just putting that all together and having that finish this album feels just so right. Cause this yep. is it's such a radical reinvention uh, for what, you know, people knew him for, cause he was the old folky guy. And now just with the, uh, and the, you know, this one doesn't, this has the electronic elements, the synth, the synth elements, but it doesn't feel as strong as some of the a couple of the other songs that we had talked about earlier while also not not totally going back to what it was he was doing before and just that kind of backbeat to it that's almost almost like a click track you know it's just like like something that's just sort of keeping it going and still just works so well and just lets his voice and his vision and his lyrics come alive such a terrific way to end such a terrific album yeah did you ever get to see him live one time, one time. Uh, so my wife and I saw him uh, in Rome just before my son was born. So my wife was six and a half, seven months pregnant, probably shouldn't have been flying. Uh, but it was our last, it was going to be our last vacation together as just the two of us. So we knew that after that, we were going to have at least one more person on the board. And so we went, so we spent a week in Rome and we planned that week around seeing him play this outdoor amphitheater. And it was a beautiful show. It was a magical show. And so this would have been in 2013. So I don't think he had a current album out. I think he was just on tour. And it was, oh, it was so good. It was so good. So we're just, you know, we're kind of sunburned off a day in, in Rome and eating some good food. And we've made our way out to the outskirts of town to this and it took us forever to get out there on a bus. And, and then he just came out and played for an hour and a half. And then... Uh, took a, a short break and came out and played for like another hour. It was uh, it was so good. It was so good. He was so good live, and I think one of the I was able to see him twice in New York. And um, Tower of Song was um, was really a highlight. It was just him him with a, a Casio. <laughs> he just push play and uh, and and then just did those little tinkling tinkling on the uh, on. The piano for uh, on the keyboard for the the solo, which is just another great image of somebody alone in a tower just kind of playing along with a castle. <laughs> I had I had some friends who were able to visit him when he was up on the mountain, and apparently he he would just invite people in and just play stuff that he was he was working on. He'd play the songs that he was uh, he had that little that little keyboard, and he'd play him some of his new songs. He's a very welcoming guy to in that way. That would have been, uh, I can only imagine how cool that would have been to, to, to see that, experience that. And yeah, it would have been nice. I would have loved to have sat down and talked to the man just once. Tell me, what are, uh, what are your final thoughts on the record? It's one of my, yeah, it's, it's one of my favorites. I, I agree with you that 
it would really set the after coming after uh, various positions, which which I agree with you was was starting this. I I love love that album as well. Uh, starting this whole different uh, part of his his career, which then with this going into uh, the future, which is now the part of of his career that um, that I I still love the the older songs, but there's something about how he was able to uh, become Leonard Cohen in many ways in this album, and I think a lot of it does have to do with this. It's not just the um, the change in the the production value. It's it's really he seems much more comfortable with with who he is with uh, uh, with that's the sense of humor that comes through. I think a lot more than in some of the earlier songs. He seems just uh, more. He seems happier in many ways and much more um, in a space to discuss these very very intense things in a, a way that that has a lot of humor and a, and a lot of power. So I, I really, I think it's this, this start of without this album, there would have been the, the Leonard Cohen that I think um, the two of us and many, many people um, did like their favorite Leonard Cohen, or it became just the, uh, um, this was the point that it really came together and it's really started to, to become, uh, to work. And he became one of the, uh, and, and is this one of the most important, songwriters uh person musical personalities that that's ever been yeah this album is a touchstone for me and that this is the first one that i heard and this said a lot of what my expectations for leonard cohen were and being able to go forward from there because i heard this a little bit later and then i said yeah, you know I, I really dove super deep into leonard cohen about I don't know, maybe 10 years after this album came out. And he doesn't have a very forbidding catalog. So it was easy to catch up on Leonard Cohen. It wasn't like trying to jive into Dylan, you know, who's got 8 million records, you know? <laughs> so at the time, he was able to, you know, to get this one and then to get the future, which I think it was the most current one at the time. Uh, and then to, to go back and, uh, you know, I had a friend who was really would stump for uh, Death of a Ladies Man. He always thought that was fantastic, and that's obviously an outlier on, on what he was doing. He didn't really do anything close to that before or since. But I feel like if I would have heard various positions first, I don't. Know, I wonder if I would have continued either way. I, I think there was something about being able to start at that point that really led me to both directions of Leonard Cohen. You know, I followed him into the grave, let's say. So I, uh, I absolutely love his output. And I absolutely love this record. Um, it's, uh, you know, despite Jazz Police, it's still, uh, it's still one of my all-time favorites. I miss the guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was a tough time. It was a tough time when he, uh, when he left us, especially considering, you know, like I said, we didn't want to get too into, into the politics. But uh, so we had a, a bad day and then we had another bad day just a couple of days later. So that was a, it was a tough time to see my, my country go insane and then to see my, uh, my all-time favorite performer pass away. So it was, um, it was, it was a hard time, but he's still, uh, he's still here for us. So that's the, that's the nice part. We still have music. And if, uh, this is the first time that you have listened to this show, I have done two other podcasts about Leonard Cohen records. If you want to look back, you can hear me talking about songs of love and hate. You can also hear me talking about new skin for the old ceremony. And while you're there, yeah, listen to all of them, listen to all the old shows and then feel free to like, or subscribe rate or review, whatever it is that you're supposed to do to make more people 
find the show. That would be fantastic. And if it is after July 9th to 2020, I would really encourage you to find Make a King, or sorry, Let's Make a King by my special guest here today, uh, Benjamin Adair, right? <laughs> Did I get the middle name correct this time? That's it, yeah. Uh, Benjamin Adair. <laughs> I'm terrible. I, should, I, you know, I talked to you before the show starts and I should have said something then. Sorry, Benjamin Adair Murphy. Uh, check out his record, Let's Make a King. It is, it's really good if you like uh, blues-based music and uh, if you want to hear someone to be angry for all the right reasons, I would definitely encourage you to check this one out. It's a fantastic record. So thank you, Benjamin, so much for joining me today. Appreciate you taking some time out. I know you're, you're a busy man, so I appreciate it. And we'll talk to you another time. Bye. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening. You can find all of our episodes at lovethisrecord.com. Intro and outro music by The Ashes of Grissom. And thanks as always to original patron, Mark Evers.